This is The Drive with Dale Lally and Matt Williamson on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR. Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome to The Drive. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson. And Matt, uh, it's a uh, big day uh, here for uh, in, for the Steelers. Uh, Kevin Colbert spoke this morning, the Steelers GM. Um, this will probably be the last time we hear from him before the start of the uh, 2020 season. Or Yeah, 2020 season. Uh, we spent yeah, so much right, time right. talking about 2021 today <laughs> that I was, I was already jumping ahead a year. But what's going to happen in 2021 affects everything that's going to happen now yes and kevin we probably won't hear from him during the season as well so this will be quite a while until we hear from the gm um i have not listened to it i am excited to it sounds like he had a lot of good things to say yeah we'll 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 play that back for you in its entirety uh later in the show in the second hour so stay tuned for that we got a a jam-packed show here for you today Uh, we got bob labriola coming on on the at 120 uh, we'll talk to him about Bill Nunn and a lot of that stuff that okay. uh, Kevin also referenced that. And you'll hear that in that interview as well. Uh, but the one takeaway, uh, the biggest takeaway that I had uh, from this interview with Kevin Colbert was that I don't expect any deals to get done before the season starts. Oh, really? I mean, you, the, the books aren't closed, so to speak, but you just think that that's... The way he spoke, um, and I specifically asked him... Um, about the situation uh do you, first of all i asked him did you foresee the team pushing back the rule that you don't negotiate contracts during the season, during the season? Do, you, do you foresee like maybe just putting that aside for this year because of the extraordinary circumstances yeah right that's a good question and he said no hmm. um that's it's our long-standing policy we haven't talked about it i don't think i don't see foresee us doing that um, I guess the season's still the season. The season's and still the season, yeah. about it and, yeah, um, no peripheral nonsense. But the other thing that he talked a lot about was, hey, we know that salary cap floor is $175 million next year, mm-hmm. so that's what we have to operate under. That's what the floor is going to be, and there's the potential that that's what the salary cap's going to be. Okay. If that's the case, they're one of 14 teams who are over that cap going into they next are. year. I mean, I'm sure – I'm not saying that he is lying to you guys, obviously, but I, I think that there are signs to say that it probably will be higher, though, don't you think? Well, I, I, I think, and, and I asked him, I, I actually got the last question in with him as well uh, on a follow-up to that, 12, 13, 15 questions later. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, my question was, if there is the potential for the, for that floor for 2021 is there a potential that could be negotiated up because a $175 million floor would be devastating to about half the teams in the league? Sure, sure. And his response was, we know that that's as low as it could go. In my mindset, I have to operate from that point up. I understand that. If that changes over time, we don't know what what time that is. None of us can predict that at this point. We have to operate with that understanding 
But we also understand that it's something, as you mentioned, a lot of teams in the league are going to be affected by. Absolutely. Again, we're focused on 2020. Uh, let's get the best results we can now. But when we do that, we are completely thinking about – we're also always thinking about 21, 22, 23, and so forth. Um, so I think there, I think there's a, a gentleman's agreement. Here's what I think is going to ha- is happening here. So the league and the NFLPA got together and said, hey, look, we have to have some negotiations here. We have to give teams something from which to operate from. Yes. I mean, if it was totally out there willy-nilly, yeah, you we couldn't can't, do anything. You, because all you've been hearing all along was this could go as low as $150 million. Right. There's, this is devastating. $40, 50000000 million off the, the cap. The thing right? is, we still don't know what that's going to be. We could get to November, and teams could say, hey, we're just going to open up, and you can have a full stance. Could right, right, right. Or right. it could go the other way, and every, and we could go, we could see everybody say, okay, we've got some stadiums that they're going to allow fans, some other ones not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only been a couple pronouncements about, well, we're not going to allow fans all season, which I think is silly. Yeah, to g- given to the, say that already. Yeah, given know, the months in advance the way we've seen this happen. Um, so they're going to wait. Another, so there could be another TV. Uh, right. There, know, there's other things that could happen here. Right. So what's going to happen? They they set that floor. They'll revisit it again probably after the Super Bowl or maybe okay. that week leading up to the Super Bowl. Sometime in that range, they'll sit down with the with the NFLPA once they have the, the total revenue numbers in it and say, okay, this is what we, we, we didn't know exactly what we were going to be working with before. Mm-hmm. Maybe that $175 million uh, presumed that there were no fans in the stadiums anywhere across the country. Yeah, I'm sure that's there was worst no, case scenario. There's right. no Saturday game. There's not, None of that stuff's happening. This is worst case scenario. We're not going to sell one beer or hot dog. Right. Or, you know, right. So now we know this is the pool that we're working from. Uh, we're not guessing anymore, which is what we were doing when we talked about this in July. And so this is what we're dealing with. Here's what the floor is going to be, or this is what the cap is actually going to be. I mean, that's going to be the negotiation anyways. Mm-hmm. But now how can we make this not be – 175 million, 180 million. How can we get this a little bit higher so that you know half the teams, teams aren't because it's not just those 14 teams that are over the cap. There's also uh, four or five other teams that have less than 10 million dollars of available. The, cap I'm not sure space. if the Cowboys are one of those 14, but they got to get that signed. You know, what I mean, right. like, I mean things like that. I mean, and it serves no purpose for the league to say, okay, we're going to have, for example, the Eagles who are 100 100 million dollars over the cap. Uh, the Eagles are going to have to cut 15 guys <laughs> off their roster. There goes Fletcher Cox. And there's yeah. and there's 10 teams essentially that haven't even have a chance to sign those guys. Right, the Steelers being one of the 10. You know, no, they wouldn't. Right. They have, yeah, they, they have no chance to get. They have those no. Guys. Ch- most of the teams are cutting guys to get under that cap. So you're going to have hundreds of veteran guys being released. And n- with no and place where they can, they have nowhere to go. No, the, so the NFL, teams it's cherry it, yeah, right. it's in the best interest of the NFLPA oh, because it would could be a completely a buyer's market, right? And it would destroy really good teams that were built properly and by the yeah. rules and all those things. But to your point, like you said, I mean, if it's Super Bowl week, Kevin and company and all these different decision makers across the league are going to have plenty of time to sit down with the Cam yeah. Haywards of the world right. before free agency They'll goes, They'll know they what that cap number is going to be before right. free agency opens, and they'll know they'll have a much better idea of what the, what the revenues were for the season, mm-hmm. even per t- by team. You know, I, I think you know, Art will be able to put his finger in the air and test the wins and know that, hey, it's, it's probably going to be $190 million or something in that range. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, I think that there, there will be some more knowledge, obviously. And I bet – Cam Hayward's agent and the Steelers have had conversations. They have. And are we talking 
six million? Are we talking twelve million? I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're in the ballpark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're they're not you know on opposite ends. Like maybe Dalvin Cook is on the opposite end with the Vikings, but I'm sure the Steelers and Hayward are at least in the neighborhood, and we'll knock this out. It might just take take four months longer. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Eagles, and that, that was one of the reasons why I said uh, things in the air seem like, or, you know, some signs are pointing to the cap going up because they're in the worst shape of everybody, and now they're talking extension with Ertz. <laughs> you know, like, the, these teams are operating like the cap isn't going down. Kenny Clark deal, Mahomes deal, I mean, Buda Baker deal, all these ones that have happened lately – or in, you know, an inclination that we have money to spend. Well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm looking at spot track right now, um, you know, assuming that that cap comes in at uh, $175 million, uh, That's what they've set the floor on that. Okay. I mean, you're just, you're just looking at teams that are going to have to completely – the Eagles are $90 million over that cap. 90. I mean, they're um, going to have problems no matter yeah. what. The Saints, but. the Saints are are eighty million dollars over that cap, and they don't have a quarterback. That's Drew Brees, Brees on yeah, the that's what right? Drew Brees on the on the thing. The Falcons wow. are thirty nine million over that cap. Okay. Uh, the Chiefs are thirty million dollars over that cap. We've seen the Chiefs go sign a bunch of guys. Yeah, Chiefs have been busy, right? Um, yeah. So uh, you know, cow. Houston's twenty seven million dollars over that cap. I mean, every year. This time of year, there's a handful that are over the cap for next year, the right. projected cap. But, but it's never like $90 million dollars over the cap. That's unheard of. Teams. Yeah, right. that's it's just unheard teams. of. Um, you know, they wow. have $270 million in expended you know, salaries tied up in next year's cap. That's on 56 players. You're talking about the Eagles. Yeah. I mean, I'm sh- we'd have to really break down their roster, and that's not what we're here to do. But my hunch is they'll cut the Alshon Jeffries of the world, and there's you know three or four guys that will be easy to trim, but they won't be – they won't get you to the number. I mean, no, I'm, I'm just looking. I mean, that's that's with that's with Wentz with a 34 million dollar cap hit. They probably restructure you're, him. You're not going to do that. Fletcher Cox with 22 million. Maybe you restructure him. Uh, Alshon Jeffries at 18.4. Um, you've got, uh, but that's that still creates. It still leaves 10 million, uh, 10.6 in in dead cap money. So you only gain wow. seven. I mean, this is the problem. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, Brandon Graham is 17.9 million. He could be a cut, but but he leaves seventeen point two in dead cap space because oh, they just wow. re-upped him. Uh, Lane Johnson is sixteen, sixteen and a half million. His dead cap is thirty three million. I don't think he's cuttable though. He's they not cuttable, right? Darius Slay, who they just traded for, fifteen point seven million. They just extended him too. They just gave him his that dead deal, cap right? would be twenty one seven. These guys are all mm-hmm. there's there's all negative equity on this. This is like I mean I'm sure Jason this is Peters like buying a car. And then six months later, going to trade it in, you're not going to. Yeah, you, yeah. You lost a lot of you money as soon as you drove it off the thing. off the. You're going to have a lot of negative equity there. Mm-hmm. No, you're 100 percent right. You know, Deshaun Jackson gets them. Okay, Deshaun Jackson gets them five million dollars. Zach Ertz, right now, if they would release him that, at the end of the season, would well, clear, they're talking about extending him. I know, but yeah, that right. would that would give them five million in, in, in additional cap. I mean, this is not an easy cut for them. No. Wow, that's crazy. You know, they just signed Hargrave. They're not going to. Get rid of him. He's got making decent money. Yeah, Derek Barnett's an easy one. Okay, he's ten. He's ten million, and there's no. He probably goes. That he's right. gone. I'm sorry, you know, contract, that's it. Right. But that doesn't that's, get you ninety million. <laughs> no, right. I mean, you're, you're you're making a little bit of space, but you need a lot more. That team always is up against it. Well, they're they're going to be. That's crazy. They're going to get. I, I don't know how they're going to get under that cap, which right. tells me that it's not going to be. I mean, they. I think it'll be. They would almost million. have to cut Wentz. 
Almost like, yeah, right. Or Peters or Cox. Or, or Cox Even or they can't. They can't. Wentz would leave. His cap hits thirty-four million dollars, and his dead cap space is fifty-nine million dollars. Wow. I mean, they're just, they're they're gonna have so much dead cap space no matter what. They can't they do, do it. Right. I, I bet the caps two hundred plus. They're gonna figure out a way. I just think that's they're the way going to figure out a way. Right. Yeah. And We're, therefore, Steeler fans, I think Cam stays. Get back to the original conversation. I think they'll be able to extend Filer if they want. I mean, they're going to lose some people this offseason. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and But I think the people that they lose are going to be people that they've kind of made the, you know, the, they've, they've already made the bed to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, if it's Al and Connor and Juju, well, you've got young replacements. Bud. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've yeah. got guys in line. You've, you've drafted this year with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And next year's draft will also replenish that, too. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I think that... Uh, that's just normal business. The teeth gnashing that's going on over this right now, yeah, I, I don't think that these deals get done, and that's newsworthy. Right. And, you know, certainly, you know, when we talked to Cam a couple of weeks ago, he was not happy that, you know, he thought this I'm deal sure. was... He, you know, they've been talking about this, and as he's, he told us that they had set deadlines throughout the offseason. Hey, really? we want to have this done by this time. We want to, you know, and, and move on. He said those deadlines passed and we didn't get anything done. He said, I kind of understand it. You know, the, yeah, it was obviously a crazy the, year. The COVID situation But it still is happened. a livelihood, and what if he blows out his knee this year? But then you're looking around the league well. and you see other guys getting contracts, exactly. and that's you know I think that's where some of his uh, anxiety came from. Do you get the impression, and again, this is kind of reading between the lines, that pre-COVID, I bet Cam thought that they were going to have a deal and it wouldn't Oh, yeah. You know, it, like that was going to like happen. Like when, when the Steelers tell somebody, tell a player – on their roster that he's the priority that mm-hmm. deal gets done that deal always gets done yeah. right and then because of covid it hasn't and uncertainty and so now he's kind of looking around the league going well i kind of got the short end of the stick i understand it there's not bad blood but it doesn't mean you're happy about it yeah yeah for sure uh, a couple of the other things that uh, kevin colbert talked about and, and this is something i had reported uh, last week the league has still not given scouts the okay to go to college campuses yeah right right um so he said they, they do still have the ability to go to games okay um so they'll they have practices or games right obviously but, yeah. um but he said they'll drive to the ones that they can drive to okay. uh, he said they do they do have a few flights scheduled to go to games to scout guys the interesting thing i thought he said was that um he was much more inclined to draft a guy he said I, I i would be i would lean much more towards drafting a guy who played this year as opposed to somebody who who did the opt out really and i haven't seen him play in you know 18 months well that doesn't surprise me i mean it doesn't mean i would play if i were the kid but i certainly as an evaluator I would lean any tie. I would break towards the one I've seen more recently. Right. I mean, of course. You, you said you, you just don't. You doing. just don't know what the what the football player. Mm-hmm. You know, these other guys were playing football. They've been playing football. I mean, I'm not even worried about is he in shape and all those things. It's just is he is he been honing his skills? You know, I mean, right. He, yeah, that, that's tough. Yeah, so it's going to so be weird. interesting, and and uh, we'll see if at some point the league eases some of those restrictions. Obviously, the Steelers, uh, for their part, don't want their scouts having to take a lot of flights, so they are going to have. Mm-hmm. Those guys drive as much as possible, but uh, it's going to be an interesting off season, and the oh, evaluation yeah. process for those guys is going to be tough. And, and he admitted that that you know this is really going to test the scouting departments. Yeah, and I'm hoping you know we've kind of talked about this too. Maybe in a few months there'll be more regional combines, more Senior Bowl like activities. You know, maybe the pre-draft process, the post-season process, 
looks a lot different and opens up some opportunities to see these guys. Here's the thing, though. Um, he said that, you know, the guys, like, guy opts out. Let's, let's take the, the kid from Penn State. He opts yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to play this year. Even if they had uh, some kind of combine at the end of the, let's say they, they decided uh, this thing gets done in, and they have a combine in December or yeah, something or like that. After the Super Bowl or something. Yeah. He can't, he can't attend it. Why is that? His team's still playing. Well, Penn State wouldn't be, but they would need they they have to work out some kind yeah. of deal, you know, with okay with the with the I forget what he what the, I'm trying to look here. Um, yeah, but the college season doesn't go super late. I mean, you could do it January 10th, could be this combine or whatever. Right, but there there has to be some things worked out just because you can't bring a kid in just to work him out on your own, even though he's not going to play football this year. Okay, because he's a college student. Because he's still so. a co- considered yeah, a college yeah, yeah. student. Uh, he's an amateur. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then okay. one one final thing he talked about, and this was interesting. Uh, we we've talked a little bit about this was the the fact that uh, they made some changes to those practice squad rules, allow you to keep six veterans on the practice squad. Yeah, yeah. And he said that kind of affected some of their thinking here. He said typically when they when they sign guys in the off season, they typically only sign guys to those futures contract if they have practice squad eligibility. Sure, sure. You know, because either they, either the yeah, either they make right. your roster or they're getting cut. They, mm-hmm. There's there's no in between. Put them. Um, but he said that one of the reasons why they signed Curtis Riley and Wendell Smallwood was because now with that change in the rules, guys like that have practice squad eligibility. Where other years they would. Yeah. yeah. Not that those guys are heading for the practice squad, but, but they like, it gives you I mean, it gives you an opportunity. Like, hey, even if he's not one of our top fifty three, we can still keep him around and keep we're him. We're not around. just wasting our time on the guy. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. I mean. I can see Smallwood being one of those, potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, sure gives you a guy that's yeah, right. gives you a guy that on you know if something happens to one of your backs, he's on the roster. You don't have to bring. You're happy to, about it, right? You don't have to work him out. He knows the system. He's been here. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so sounds like Riley's probably making the team. I think he's yeah, he almost like, a lock at this probably point. Probably getting playing time. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, we're gonna take a break. Nice. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk with Bob Labriola. Lots of stuff to talk about with Bob as well today. We'll do that right after this. I'm Dale Lolly. He's Matt Williamson. This is the Drive on Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back to The Drive. I'm Dale Lolly here with Matt Williamson, and we're pleased to be joined now, as we are every Wednesday, by uh, Steelers.com and Steelers Digest uh, editor uh, Bob Labriola. Bob, how you doing? Good, Dale. How are you? And we're not hearing Bob. Good, Dale. How are you? Where did Bob go? We just <laughs> talk, we're just talking to Bob. Bob, you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, All there's right. Bob. Uh, how you doing, Bob? Pretty good, Dale. Let's take two. <laughs> Let's try that again, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bob, uh, the Steelers, uh, well, about a week and a half into their padded practices. Um, thus far, they've made it through without any major injuries. And... Uh, I guess things looking okay, um, especially when you look around the division and see some of the turmoil that's taking place with some of the uh, in some of the other camps. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, knock on wood. Uh, when, when, whenever I talk about injuries, uh, but you know, this is something that you know Mike Tomlin continually stresses, you know, to these players and, and is willing to you know talk publicly about it. Um, you know, stressing that you know the kind of condition 
Uh, they need to come to camp in, you know, in order to keep themselves available so that, you know, they can get their work done and the team can get its work done as it prepares for the upcoming regular season. And, you know, I, I don't know specifically what kind of program, you know, a lot of these guys use or are on, but, um, you know, when uh, and, and, and this always happens shortly after reporting day, um, we, we will ask uh, Mike Tomlin about, you know, what he thought of, the group as it reported and you know, he will give an assessment of uh, their conditioning and you know, this summer he said he was very impressed with a lot of the players uh, the way they reported to training camp and you know now in the era of, era of social media we get to see some of that for ourselves as they post different <laughs> things videos and pictures and stuff um, you know and apparently the work that they have done so far is paying off um I'm sure that maybe the, you know, the, there are some allowances made in terms of the, the daily schedule, but I mean, you know, Tomlin's teams tackle every day; they hit, um, and so, the, and, and we know from watching training camp at St. Vincent, uh, you know, I don't care what Punch and Wolf say, uh, it's not a country club. Uh, those guys, those practices are physical. Maybe there aren't as many, but that's more CBA related than you know, Steeler policy related. And so, um, like I said, knock on wood, so far so good. Yeah, I agree. And uh, uh, certainly um, uh, another guy who would kind of lament at times the uh, lack of physicality at training camp and those kind of things and would sit and watch every training camp practice uh, from up above, his perch up above, uh, was Bill Nunn, Bob. And, uh, of course, the Steelers getting the news yesterday that he is now a uh, finalist for induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. Uh, I know uh, you uh, you sent out some tweets on social media saying how happy you were about that inclusion. Uh, can, can you just uh, talk to us a little bit about Bill? Well, I mean, you know, Bill Nunn, uh, beyond what he contributed to the Steelers uh, in the National Football League, <clears throat> um, you know, a great, a great human being. I mean, Bill Nunn, I'm sure most of the listeners know this by now, but just to explain what I mean, you know, Bill Nunn was a sports writer. Uh, that makes that automatically makes him a great human being. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, um, you know, and he always, uh, you know, because that was my background as well, um, we would commiserate about, you know, the media and, you know, you know, writing for newspapers and, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, on the days when, Steelers Digest would be delivered to the, you know, Three River Stadium or uh, the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex later, you know, I would go around and just hand out copies to everybody or put them on people's desks, you know, whatever. And that was, you know, Bill Munn was always, um, you know, excited about seeing it. I mean, there are times when he would have, you know, some feedback. Um, and, um, you know, it was, it was always something that we would talk about. You know, it was kind of an icebreaker, a conversation starter. Um, and then uh, the, the 2007, uh, when uh, I was asked to by Dan Rooney to be involved a little bit in the book that he ended up writing, um, you know, he took me around, Dan Rooney took me around to 
you know, some people in the organization and explained, you know, that I was going to be helping him with some things, doing some interviews and, um, you know, uh, uh, gathering some information. And then when I went in to talk to them about this, they should tell, you know, talk to me, cooperate, which, you know, helps. It's a good and, lead blocker I mean, through the hole, huh? I, yeah, I, I, I ended up spending hours with Bill Nunn. I mean, and, and some of it was used in the book. Some of it was just, you know, uh, educating me about different things, uh, history, Pittsburgh history, Pittsburgh sports history, um, newspaper history, journalism. I mean, um, the guy was very well-rounded, uh, and, you know, with Bill Nunn, uh, you know, if you had an ounce of sense in your head, you learn very quickly. But when you're around him, you keep your mouth shut and your ears open, and you will learn. And you know, another thing, uh, and this was this was fun for me too because this wasn't exactly something that was uh, encouraged. Uh, you know, standing up on that balcony watching practice when they would have it um, at. Uh, Outside there, at the back, outside the back of the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex. But when Bill Nunn was out there sitting on a stool, and if you were out there talking to him, you were allowed to be there. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I would stand next to him, and again, just listen. And I, you know, the the things that you learn, um, sometimes you don't even know that you're learning things. Uh, but then, you know, as situations uh, crop up, then later, you, got, you know, wow, it, you know, it, it kind of hits you. Wow, you know, I remember what, and everyone called him none there. That's what he called himself. So you would think, wow, that's something that none told me. You know, one of the things I remember him telling me that at the time made no sense. But, you know, from the uh, post practice yesterday, uh, when Mike Tomlin was asked, you know, one of the things you know he learned from Bill Nunn, um, Mike Tomlin said he never, when he was scouting, he never let football get in the way. Now that might sound counterintuitive to people, but this is what he meant. Bill Nunn told me one time that he would always tell the young scouts, the young Steelers scouts, don't when you're when you're scouting defensive backs, cornerbacks especially, don't get overly uh, influenced by their game film. He said, because you could write off a guy and say, he plays soft coverage. He lines up off the receiver too far. He said, I tell them, how do you know that's not what he's being coached to do? So you're essentially writing off a guy who might be a real good player in this league because he's doing what he's told. He said, that's not the way you scout. You scout the guys based on, you know, their uh, their uh, skill set to handle the position that we want them to play, and then the coaches take it from there. And that all went back to when Bill Nunn first came to the Steelers, and he and Chuck Knoll, you know, had an um, initial, you know, discussion, you know, scouts, and, well, on good teams, scouts and coaches, you know, are on the same page in terms of what they're looking for, uh, various positions and that kind of thing. Uh, and Noel told none, do you know what athletes look like? Bring me athletes. 
I'll take care of the rest. <laughs> and that's how those teams in the 70s were built. I mean, you didn't look at Mel Blunt and say, yeah, you know, he plays off too far or, <laughs> you know, he lines up too close to the guy or, you know, any of that stuff because that wasn't, you know, that wasn't necessarily something that was a part of who he was as an athlete. Now, that was something maybe that that was their defensive scheme. And so, you know, he taught people to look beyond those kinds of things, you know, concentrate on, you know, and all this stuff was way over my head, you know, his uh, knee and ankle flexibility and, you know, his hips. And, I mean, he would talk about that, his feet. I mean, I, none of those things really meant anything to me because I, I, I didn't have the, uh, the vision or the experience to know what to look for. Uh, to, you know, to check those boxes. But, you know, when he would um, talk to a lot of the young scouts, you know, I mean, these are the kinds of things he would he would constantly preach. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of, um, I won't say legendary, that's overstating it, but something that everyone understands about the Steelers organization, and Bill, you probably know this just from being around, the guys who have, had internships in the scouting department all get jobs in the league. Right. Mm -hmm. And they also are still in those jobs. Some of them have been promoted. And one of their jobs, it's kind of an unofficial thing, um, because as Bill Nunn got older, he didn't want to drive anymore. So somebody had to go and pick him up at his house in the Hill District <laughs> and drive him into the office in the morning and then drive him home at night when he was ready to home. And those, you know, 10, 15 minutes each way, again, if you were smart and kept your mouth shut and your ears open, you learned how to get a job in the league. Became a pretty good scout, just taking yep. them back and forth, right? Invaluable. <laughs> right. right. Mike yep. Lombardi tells stories. He used to do that with Bill Walsh when he broke in the league, and he did it with Al Davis and says, it's the best knowledge I ever got. I just drove him around, didn't say a thing, and learned like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite the honor for for uh, for Bill. It's a shame that uh, he is not still with us to uh, to be here to see this honor. But uh, the first scout to be inducted into the Pro awesome. Football Hall of Fame, presumably he's gonna. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is gonna happen. But he's the first guy who was largely a scout during his career that's that's going to get that honor, and, and uh, nobody more deserving, given what he uh, he meant to the league. And it's really it's. It's integration and use of the, the historically black colleges. Well, yeah, and, you know, that, that's the other element of it. <clears throat> and this was another thing, you know, that I learned from those long conversations that we would often have. You know, that movie, uh, I think it was called The Green Book. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, you know, traveling through, you know, the Deep South at, a, you know, a time when, you know, segregation was, you know, still very much the law of the land, um, you know, African-Americans, black people were not welcome at a lot of hotels and restaurants and stuff. And so what traditionally happened, like when Bill Nunn would go to scout Grambling, he would stay at Eddie Robinson's house hmm. because there were no hotels that would let him in. Good way to get some so, information. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> you know, he's sitting around the, the, the table in the, um, 
in the kitchen or the dining room or whatever, having a cup of coffee with Eddie Robinson the Friday night before a game, just shooting the breeze and, you know, hey, Bill's maybe telling them stuff about the NFL or, you know, maybe they're talking about boxing or other sports because none knew all those guys. Magic Charles, Joe Lewis, I mean, um, as Kevin Colbert related today on the Zoom call, um, Bill Nunn was with Roberta Clemente after Maserowski's home run uh, in the seventh game of the 1960 World Series. They were in a bar in the Hill District, you know, having a couple. Um, and all of the, you know, there were a lot of stories about how angry Clemente was that Dick Grote was, um, won the MVP and, you know, how he uh, stormed out of the clubhouse and left and blah, blah, blah. And Nuno would always laugh at that stuff. He said, he was sitting next to me, I forget the name of the bar, at so-and-so's bar that whole night. He didn't leave. <laughs> he was with me, you know, celebrating and won the World Series. So, you know, his experiences, his reach, you know, was just incredible. And one of his mentors at the Courier was Wendell Smith, who was the guy who was with Jackie Robinson throughout his first season with the Brooklyn Dodgers when he integrated Major League Baseball. Okay, so, you know, these are the kinds of conversations and the experiences and the people that Bill Nunn knew. And Henny Robinson might drop a couple of nuggets about some players on his team. <laughs> right. He might not tell and, not, and, and not just his team, but maybe some guys on other teams They're as well. They're, they, hey, we played against right. his kid last week. He's just unbelievable. We couldn't stop him, yeah. you know. Right, and, and Bill Nunn's father was the editor of the Pittsburgh Courier. And so when prominent uh, blacks in various um, uh, phases of life, athletes, entertainers, whatever, would come through Pittsburgh, they would often stay at his house. <laughs> and so then there's that experience. And so your network, your web of people that you know who will tell you things, who will speak the truth to you because they trust you, it's just, just it, it, it just continues to expand. And so, you know, his ability to gather information, to find out, you know, Deacon Jones was one. And there were, there were a lot of these guys that Bill Nunn got into the NFL before he even went for the Steelers. You know, Deacon Jones was supposed to be um, some bad guy because he, quote-unquote, got thrown out of school um uh, as a junior or something, but really all it was was he was at a um, civil rights rally. And so he ended up having to go to, I think it was called Mississippi Vocational College, which was such a downtrodden program that guys on that um, team had to sleep on cots in you know, the visiting team's gym uh, when, you know, when they would go and play a game. But, you know, Bill Nunn calls up the Los Angeles Rams and says, hey, man, I got this guy, pretty good player. Um, why don't you think about it? Yeah, 21st round draft pick turns into Deacon Jones. Well, it's true. Um, he was a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, these, that that's the kind of reputation that Bill Nunn had even before uh, Dan Rooney hired him. And... Um, you know, the, the guy's just fascinating. I mean, he you know he knows everybody. Um, there was a pic. There's a picture uh, in um, you know circulating around the personnel department. Kevin Colbert showed it to me 
um, last year, maybe the year before that. Um, it was Bill Knight, um, Jackie Robinson, Wendell Smith. I mean, they're all just standing around talking. You know, that's historic. You know, another thing about Nunn was he was a good enough basketball player at West Virginia State that when the NBA decided to integrate, they contacted Nunn along with uh, Chuck Cooper and you know, the other people who ended up going to the NBA about, you know, uh, integrating the league. So that's how good he was, you know, as a basketball player. Uh, Abe Saperstein tried to get him to play for the Harlem Globetrotters. That's how good he was as a basketball player. So this is a guy who, you know, um, you know, he's not like me who just <laughs> talks about athletes and writes about them. I mean, he actually was one. Hmm. And that's why when Chuck said to him, you know athletes, bring them to me. I mean, that was that was more than just, you know, um, vis- a visual knowing athlete because Bill Nunn was one himself. And so, you know, that's a, the guy is um, fascinating, fascinating human being and did a lot to help a lot of people. That, that's amazing stuff. And you mentioned how, you know, you were privileged enough at times to sit on that balcony and watch practice with him. Would he, would he constantly be taking notes or saying things like, boy, look at his ankle flexion or change of direction or this guy's stiff? I mean, like, we're just – that type of athletic evaluations? He never took notes. I mean, I don't, you know, it was all in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll never forget this. It was 2000, the year was 2000, uh, rookie mini camp or whatever it was, the first appearance, you know, of that draft class. Plexico Burst, the eighth overall pick. Went deep, and whoever uh, was the quarterback in that repetition threw the ball to him deep down the middle, and it fell incomplete. And none turned to me and said, he can't track balls over his head. <laughs> I, I said, what? He said, look at me. He can't track balls over his head. I said, this is a little bit late for something like that. <laughs> I'd good to know said, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't in on that one. He said, but that's all it took. One. And if you remember early in Burris' career. He couldn't track the, the ball, ball over his head. He couldn't track the ball over his head when it was, when it was directly over him. You know what I mean? And he would have to look up, like he was good with alley-oops and, and the kinds of passes he would go up in the air and high point, like the one that won the Super Bowl against the Patriots. He was great at those. But if he was in a full dead sprint and there was one of those rainbows, you know, that would, you'd catch it over your shoulder like Stalwart did in Super Bowl fourteen. uh-uh. Yeah, just a fascinating guy. Um, I didn't have the conversations with him that, that you did, but I uh, – did uh, speak to him a few times, and uh, just uh, I, I mean, again, when you when you think about talking to people like that who know that history, uh, you know, have been around those kind of people, um, you know, it's 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 it's, it's all it, it, he he knew more people than Cope, which is saying something. I mean, his network and his friends are unbelievable. Yeah, uh, and right, and you know, a lot of the you know Myron was different because he was known to the public. Right. Uh, Bill Nunn mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily, but, you know, in his world, you know, they knew him. Uh, and um, as Kevin told the story today on the Zoom call uh, about Alabama, excuse me, Alabama A&M, Star Wars alma mater, that one game film, the coach gave it to Nunn. You think he gives it to anybody else? 
No, right. seriously. Right, right, right. He gives it to he gives it to Bill Nunn because you know that was the other thing. Donnie Shell, Donnie Shell ended up in Pittsburgh because Bill Nunn. I forget the, the South Carolina State coach at the time. I've written it. I can't think of it. Yeah, Bill I Nunn. Too. Bill yeah. Nunn told that coach, "I will box. He will get a fair shot here." So he came to Pittsburgh. Just on that, that was it. Uh, it had nothing to do with more money, you know, promising a starting job, any of that stuff. It was Bill Nunn said, vouched that he would get a fair chance, and that was good enough. On that word, the coach told Donnie Shell sign with Pittsburgh, and that's what he did. Hmm. Yeah. He is Bob wow. Labriola, editor of uh, Steelers Digest and Steelers.com. Bob, we're going to let you go. We, we kept you long here today, but we appreciate your, uh, your recollections there on uh, Bill Nunn. A well-deserved honor for him. Uh, it's really going to be quite the, uh, quite the event next summer um, at, in Canton. Uh, at least four Steelers likely going in now. Uh, I think we're going to get a fifth as well with Alan Fanica, and that's never been done before in one uh, Hall of Fame class. Yeah, and the you know the thing about Bill Nunn, it's it's overdue in my opinion. You know, all due respect to everybody else, but uh, if I could have either Gil Brandt or Bill Nunn <laughs> put my team together, <laughs> I, I, hear I don't you. even have to say anymore. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, but we're going to let you go. Uh, he is uh, Matt Williamson. I'm Dale Lally. You're listening to The Drive here on Steelers Nation Radio. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson. And, Matt, uh, great segment there with Bob uh, yeah, recounting awesome. the Bill Nunn. Uh, he's just that guy's life, uh, again, it's, you, you know, you think about uh, as he was talking about the Jackie Robinson photo, I'm thinking it's right. kind of like Forrest Gump. You know? right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, all these too, all right. these uh, moments in history, and he was a part of. You know, he was with Roberto Clemente after the you know, the I home mean, run. Even, he was with like, you know the name Eddie Robinson might not mean a lot to people around here, but I mean he's paterno esque. I mean, right. like, you yeah. know what I mean? Just sitting in his kitchen overnight talking about the game and players and having a cold one. You learn a little like, bit. Unbelievable, yeah. right? Absolutely. The network but, uh, was something I hadn't thought about. But yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's how uh, he made all that work, and uh, really just uh, again was was groundbreaking in terms of uh, what he did with opening the doors for the historically black colleges. Right, and I also like that that Bob mentioned Bill Nunn's dad was the editor of the paper. So, if a big person of color came yeah. to town, they stayed at his house. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, the Pittsburgh Sammy Courier. Junior, yeah, or, you know, the Pittsburgh was, Courier right. was a huge deal. Right. You right. know, back then, and and so. Um, you know, that family was known all over the country. Absolutely. Um, you know, for that. So, wow. um, switching back to uh, today's football news, um, Bears running back David Montgomery was carted off of uh, practice today cool. on a non contact injury. Uh, NFL Network Stacy Dales is reporting that it looks like it's a, or I'm sorry, Tom Pelissaro is reporting um, that it looks like it's a groin strain. Okay. Um, that's the best case scenario. For yeah, I say that's best. I mean, he got um, off on a card. But they said he, he he went down without contact, which is really, never a good never thing. Right. And then when he tried to get back up, uh, couldn't stand on it. That doesn't sound like a ground like a strain to me. No, and it's funny because I was talking about David Montgomery a lot last night on my podcast, and before this news came out, and I kind of thought. This guy's getting a little bit of a bum rap. Like, he did not have a good rookie season. Don't get me wrong. 
but it had a little bit of a Steelers feel where opposing defenses wanted the quarterback to beat you. His line was uh, – that's like one of the more underreported stories in the league because I think the Bears' offensive line is in contention for worst in the league. Yeah. And he's a real after-contact guy. And he's he, – I just found this out yesterday too is he trimmed some weight – in the Lev Bell, Benny Snell mold. I was just going to say, you know, if you look at his rookie season, he had 889 yards on 242 carries and six touchdowns, had 25 receptions. That's not horrible. I mean, people I mean, act like he's It's terrible. It's almost, a, I think if you went back and looked at Le'Veon Bell's rookie year, uh, okay. they're probably pretty similar in terms of the production that they mm-hmm. had as rookies. And we saw what Bell did in year two, again, trimming the weight. Trimming the weight. You know. Getting a little help from people around him, you know, being a little more accustomed to the league. I mean, he, was, he wasn't he was a great athletic tester or anything like yeah. that. And he's not going to break long runs. But you're DeBell. But he was a guy that made you miss in college. He led the, that, that year coming out, the broken tackles. Yeah. and make you miss. And it's not like he's Barry Sanders either. They were subtle movements. Right. And I wonder, with him, you know, like playing in the Big 12, do you think, boy, I, that move I just made that, that rain that I, I got out of that tackle from that safety – I didn't quite work here, and maybe yeah. if I'm the slightest bit quicker, it does. You know, like I thought I had that guy set up, and I didn't quite get away with him, get away from him like I usually do. I got to be a little quicker than I thought. Yeah, uh, it's interesting though that uh, the Bears really, if you look at their depth chart, it's awful. They don't have anybody behind him. It's mm-hmm. Tariq Cohen, who's not an every down back. He's a specialist. You're right. It makes you wonder if uh, I mean the Steelers are going to have perhaps a a lot of uh, backs. On this roster, you think I don't consider moving one. Maybe, but uh, you know, who need them though? Uh, yeah, I think you do need them. Um, you know, we, Bears should be in the market for somebody. The though. Bears going to be in the market to, to get one here. If it looks like uh, Montgomery's going to be out for a while, but uh, certainly that's something to keep an eye on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't the the end of this. There are going to be more teams oh, that, that they get into these situations. As I mentioned with Bob, the Steelers have not run into this yet. They, I mean, um, they're going to deal with it like every team does. But, regard. again, I think we're seeing more and more – seeing a lot of groin injuries across the league. I think that the, goes the back to the injury. the training, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the off-season training stuff. Probably. You're, you're, you can train and be in great shape. Like every year I, I tell the story when I was in high school, we would always go because we made the state playoffs every year in basketball that I, that I played in high school. Okay. And so we would go straight and, and be done with basketball, but baseball practices had already started. So you would go straight from the, from playing okay. a full season of basketball. You're right, in pretty right, good right. shape. Yeah, I mean, you were 16 or whatever, yeah. but still. And you go right into playing baseball, and, you, well, I'm in great shape. And then the first time you'd leg out a double or something, you'd come up and your hamstrings would be sore. It's a different kind of this running. Really, yeah, okay. You know, I guess so. I mean, you don't think about that. You know, the ground's giving way a little bit. You're mm-hmm. making those those you know quick turns at a at a uh, you know at first base, round of the base, round the base and stuff. And, yeah, times and, you know, it's just a different kind of running. And football in general is different. I mean, people think about you know like it's really hard to train for. Let's go as hard as I possibly can for four seconds. Yeah. Do nothing for thirty. Go as hard do as it I again. can for four. <laughs> you know, like, how do you do that in a gym or on a treadmill or at home or when you're stuck at home at COVID? You know, like, right. it, it, the, the stop-start stop nature of the sport is hard to replicate. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, but anyways, that's going to do it for our show today. Uh, okay. I want to thank uh, Matt Williamson, my, my partner here, for uh, getting well, us through today. Too. I want to thank uh, Jacob here on site for keeping us on the air. And I want to thank you for listening to this edition of The Drive. Uh 
I'm Dale Lally. Stay tuned right here for Wes Euler and Arthur Moach. They'll be picking up the slack here for the next three hours right here on Steelers Nation Radio.